welcome. Um, I'm one of the curates here at All Saints. Um, best job ever, I think. Um, anyway, we're going to be looking, uh, carrying on our series, the Blessed series. We're on um, number three. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So recently, my um, lovely mother rang me and said she had a tech-related question. Now, like um, most millennials in the room, we are tech support for our families. It's a burden we have to bear, but alas, I'm the one that gets the phone call. And she goes, um, Jessica, I'm only ever known as Jessica back at home. Jessica, and everyone on Instagram keeps talking about these things called bios. She's like, do you know what, what that is? What's a, what's a bio? She says, I keep seeing stuff saying LinkedIn bio. I was like, oh, here we go. So I began to explain to her what a bio was. And now the bio is basically the bit of information at the top of an Instagram profile that gives you a snapshot as to maybe who that person is or what their brand is like or what their kind of like, yeah, heart is, I guess. Um, so I've got a couple of examples for you. So the first one is our All Saints one. It kind of says what we are. Practicing the way of Jesus in community. Joining God in the renewal of all things. And then we've got the Sunday Times. We're part of New Wine. And there's a link. Basically, this is the only place on Instagram that you can, like, link pages. That's why everyone says LinkedIn bio. So it kind of gives you a snapshot, right? So as I was looking, I thought, okay, let me give you some more examples. Here's Riches. He's not here this morning, so I can embarrass him. Talks about Kath and the kids being the vicar of all saints. Um, I'm glad Kath and the kids were first. Um, there's a link to Rich Johnson Ministries if you want to fund his private plane. Just head on over there. <laughs> but um, kind of gives you a snapshot, doesn't it? This is, this is who Rich uh, kind of, that's who he says he wants to... That's his goals, basically, I reckon. Um, next one, Fraser's has no words, okay? <laughs> so I'll leave that with you. I think maybe he's saying draw your own conclusions as to who I am, but the picture is terrifying. Um, for transparency, here's mine. Um, I'm mainly watching TikToks of Harry Styles at this point. Um, what can I say? I'm learning how to vicar here. Uh, that gives you a snapshot, right? So I've got thinking, here's a question. Would Jesus be on social media? And if so, what would his bio be? This is what I went for. Nice profile picture there. 12 followers, see what I did. Um, Eight billion, the whole world one day will follow him. Um, and he's everywhere location-wise. Uh, he is the son of God. And then lastly, says, I am gentle and humble in heart. Because did you know that this is the only time in the gospel that we hear Jesus describe his heart? This is his about me section, that his heart is gentle and lowly. And so if that's how he describes himself, I think we need to take note here and this is where we come to the beatitude of blessed of the meek. You see, it's the same Greek word used in I am gentle and humble in heart as it is for blessed are the meek. My Greek teacher from theological college will be very happy with me right now. I've even put the original Greek on there for you. 
Prase is the word. Hope I'm saying that right. So if Jesus is describing himself as meek and, and blessed are the meek, I wonder what springs to mind when you hear that word today. I know I think of little baby Jesus, meek and mild. It's a picture of maybe uh, niceness and, and being docile. But this morning I want to explain that meek doesn't mean weak or placid. And it's actually impossible to fully translate that word with just one of our English words. So you'll often see it as um, gentle or humble, lowly, considerate, courteous. One commentary described it as strength under control. And so this statement that we come to this morning, it's number three in the series. So we've had blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, and here we are, the meek. And there is a logical connection between these different beatitudes, and each one seems to connect to the other. And I think as I've been sitting in this text that the beatitudes become increasingly more and more difficult more humbling, more eye-opening. The first beatitude asks us to realize our own weakness and our own inability. We have to be poor in spirit. Leads on to the second, that we realize our own sinfulness, that God mourns with us about the state of the world. But here is something a bit more searching. You see, the first two, are mostly pointing inwards at ourselves. But the third actually is about relating to one another. Because by definition, we can't say, I am the most humble person in this room. Going around shouting about how meek and mild we are isn't really proving the point. And in many ways, we can be honest about ourselves before God. You know, we know we mess up. We know we get things wrong, but how much harder is it to allow others to say that about ourselves? In one commentary, Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, meekness is essentially a true view of oneself expressing itself in attitudes and conduct with respect to others. The person who is truly meek is the one who is truly amazed that God and man can think of them as well as they do. Maybe let me put it like this. I can see my own helplessness up close and personal. I'm so aware of my sins and my doubts. So aware of the things that distract me and and drag me away from God. And when I'm in the right frame of mind, I'm I'm ready to say, God, you know, I'm a mess, I need you. But it's difficult, isn't it, when other people have to say stuff about us. When our close friends maybe challenge or, or, or point something out that we think, I wish you hadn't noticed that in me. And our natural state is to squirm, isn't it? Oh, please don't notice the stuff that I get wrong. See, so far we've been 
looking at what it means to, to function in these Beatitudes. And now we have to start looking about how this plays out in the world around us, in the communities that we're a part of. Because how do I react when someone upsets me or challenges me or provokes me? Where is meekness in those situations? I think that is humbling and illuminating, isn't it? When push comes to shove, what our internal reactions are like. It's allowing other people to put the searchlight on me instead of just pointing out my own failings. You know, the ones that aren't that bad. Oh, I'm, I'm just far too sociable. It's like, your real friends can think of other things than just the nice bad stuff, can't they? And it's that stuff that makes me go, oh, I don't want to know. But let's go a bit further then. What does meekness look like personified? Who are, who are meek people that we read of? So let's look at Abraham, great gentleman of the Old Testament, and we see his portrait of one of, of, of meekness. It's a characteristic of his life. We see it in his attitude and respect towards Lot. And he allows this younger man to take first choice of the land. He doesn't murmur or complain, because he knows it's all God's anyway. He's got this bigger, wider landscape of, of what's at play here. It's meekness, isn't it? Putting the others before ourselves. We see it again in Moses. The lowliness and readiness not to insert himself, but to humble himself. He sees the amazing possibilities ahead of him in Egypt. And he evaluates it all and says, no, I don't want that. Look at Mary's willingness to house God in her womb. Gentle and lowly and humble and available to God. She's not looking for reward. She's not shouting about it. She's humbly saying, yes, your will be done, God. We see it again at Paul, mighty man of God. He suffered. And the churches that he was, he was helping to set up were, were nasty and mean and, and overlooked him in many times. And you read some of his qualities and some of his meekness coming out, especially in his letters to the Corinthian church who were really just like bad-mouthing him. And he is kind and gentle and challenges, but doesn't react out of defensiveness. But as we know, meekness is personified in Jesus. It's interesting, in the Gospel of Matthew, he mentions this three different times. So in the passage that I mentioned before, Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. There's the word meekness again, gentle, humble, meek. 
And then we see it a bit later in Matthew 12, where he quotes a, a prophet, uh, Isaiah, he quotes this section, it says this, Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out, till he has brought justice through to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. Summarises there beautifully the gentleness of Jesus, proclaiming justice to the nations. It's not being timid. This is powerful stuff. And again, he does it not by shouting the loudest or getting the angriest, but he does it. He proclaims victory and justice. And then finally, we see the last time that word is used again in Matthew 21, where it says, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. True humility, once again, that word gentle could also be meek. He's not coming in riding on a stallion as he enters Jerusalem. And as the crowds cheer, he is on a donkey. Humble and meek Jesus. And we see it in his whole life. We see it in his reaction to other people. We see it when he faces persecution and scorn and slander and sarcasm. Think of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Think of the way Paul portrays him in Philippians where he says he did not regard equality with God as something to cling to but poured himself out, poured himself out for us, for you and for me. Deciding to live as man, as human, becoming a servant, even a servant to death on the cross. You see, that is meekness and humility. And I think as I sat in this place, as I was preparing it this week, I began to think around the question of, of power. What does this teach us about power? Because surely power is the opposite of meek, right? It's interesting that Jesus was referring to a psalm when he said this point, Psalm 37. And so people in the crowd would have been kind of used to that language or, or known what he was referring to. So in Psalm 37, it says this, Do not fret because of the evil. The meek will inherit the land. Those the Lord blesses will inherit the land. Hope in the Lord and keep his ways. He will exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are destroyed, you will see it. See here it's about possession of the land being given to the meek and not the wicked or not the godless. But Jesus is not trying to apply it to a territory. He's 
applying it to a people group, that God will give the meek the high places that they would not seize for themselves. You see, in a world that tells us that power equals security, Jesus is preaching the total opposite. It's the upside down nature of the kingdom that we see time and time again. In a world that tells us that power is the ultimate goal, the ultimate aim for our life, Jesus speaks a better word. Reminds us that the meek will inherit the earth. That the powerful can boast and throw their weight around. The powerful can grasp at worldly possessions, thinking that the more we have, the more we mean. But it's the meek that inherit the earth. Meek, on the other hand, means that we give out all to Christ. That we actually have nothing because all is Christ's. And actually in Jesus, power looks like death. Power looks like arms outstretched on a cross. Wearing a crown of thorns. The greatest gift. Our salvation won for us on the cross. Dying for us. The most powerful and world changing moment. That's godly power. Not as the world would lead us to believe. But it looking like death and resurrection. You see, meekness doesn't mean mild or nice. Often when people are easygoing, you might be able to say, oh, they're meek, they're nice. It doesn't mean weakness either. I think for a long time I thought meek meant weak. It doesn't mean peace at any price. It's not just another way to package up people-pleasing rather than having it out, just avoiding it altogether. It doesn't mean any of that. Meekness is compatible with great power and great strength. Meek are the defenders of truth. Martyrs are meek, but never weak. And again, in a world that tells us to assert yourself, play the game, be the loudest in the room, shout the loudest, have the most to say. I believe we're called to live a different way, to fight against the narrative in our heads that it's the most powerful that get it all. To be meek is not to be defensive. It's largely at play in our culture today, isn't it? Being offended and defensive. And when we really zoom in on what meekness means in our lives, it means laying down our identities, our struggle for power, our need to be noticed. It looks like being undefended, 
And this is a bit that, that really got me, that when I think of Jesus, we know he is the most approachable person, human on earth. There was a complete absence of retaliation. There was no kind of defensiveness about Jesus. And when I read this, I, I physically felt myself go, sigh of relief, right? Because we, we live and we know and we maybe are people with defenses up, quick to react and respond. And I thought, wow, the relationship we get to have with Jesus is one of undefensiveness. How many people felt like they were avoiding landmines over Christmas? Or oh, let's not touch on this topic, or let's avoid talking about that. But when it comes to Jesus as a total accessibility, and we have access to that, it's not, it's not a complicated thing. And do you know what? His invitation is simply to come close. That's, that's as simple as it gets. In the book Gentle and Lowly, Dane Ortland says this, the minimum bar to be enfolded into the embrace of Jesus is simply opening yourself up to him. It's all he needs. Indeed, it's the only thing he works with. What would it mean to live undefended? Not to be a pushover, don't hear me wrong, but not to be defensive or to pass the blame the whole time. Maybe it's not trying to prove that my way is the only way or I'm always right. Maybe it's stopping trying to get, stopping trying to get everyone to see your perspective all the time. I think meekness looks like patience. Patient in our suffering, maybe. Patient and trusting in the knowledge that might not be all sunshine and rainbows right now, but I know a God who is with me and for me and close to me. Maybe it's trusting again the promise that he will never leave you. How do we remain patient even in the afflictions we have in this world. It's a challenge. I think those who are meek are teachable. We must be open and, and ready to be taught and led by Jesus. We know, you know, he's second person of the Trinity. He <laughs> became man, he humbled himself, to become entirely dependent on God, to do what his father told him to do. He humbled himself to that, being meek and gentle. And so we must learn to listen and surrender ourselves and our egos, to depend on him. And then, we inherit the earth. That's a bit mental, isn't it? 
inheriting the earth. Because we're confident that God is true to his word. And the promise is that they shall inherit the earth. It's proving that God will not allow the meek ones to end up the sure end of the deal. And it's not because we've earned it. Doesn't equal, you know, more meekness equals more of the earth. It doesn't work like that. It's all God's anyway. But in the new heaven and the new earth, where there's no more pain or suffering, there'll be no more struggles for power. And we can have confidence that God will not forget us, not leave us out, not overlook us. But as we know in the kingdom, the last shall be first. Paul in 1 Corinthians is trying to get them to see that all of the earth is God's. All the things that we have, that we, we strive to gather around us, it's all God's anyway. He says this, let no one boast in men whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are in Christ and Christ is in God. All are yours because you are in Christ. But so here's the thing, right? I'm a practical person. I would love to be able to stand here today and give you three books that you must read and you will be meek. I would love to recommend a podcast that will just download meekness into your brain. But I am sorry to disappoint. There is no quick fix here. And we can't do this on our own. It's impossible. We shall never make ourselves meek can't really be done but it can with him can with the Holy Spirit is possible because it's a characteristic that's produced in us by the Spirit it's a fruit it's offered to us when we give our yes to God and what do we have to do come close to him to seek him to realise again that the baggage that we've been carrying, to, to study this text and, and actually let it study us. We've got to ask the hard questions. We've got to hold the word as truth and, and, and ask him, Lord, speak to me, teach me how to live this life, to be humble and meek and gentle. When we humble ourselves and confess our imperfection, we then have to accept the forgiveness that's on offer. The forgiveness that washes us white as snow when we've lived the way the world wants us to live. And we accept that actually we've got it wrong. We've got it so wrong. And so as I finish today, I've got some questions that I want to leave with you. And we're just going to sit in the silence. 
But I wonder who are you waiting to be noticed by? And if we're really honest, who are we trying to impress the most? Is it our boss? Our social media following? Friends, family? What power are you clinging onto today? What parts of our identity is rooted in this world? And what is God asking you to humbly surrender today? Jesus, we need you. We want to live like you. We want to model ourselves <laughs> on you. And so Holy Spirit, I ask now, would, would you teach us and show us the things that we need to let go of, the things that we need to humbly surrender to you. Maybe in this moment you just want to start to picture them. Maybe it might be helpful to picture laying them at the foot of the cross. Maybe it's all the different badges that you wear in this world. Maybe it's the sin that so easily entangles us. Maybe it's the people we're carrying and feel burdened by. Jesus, we lay it before you now. We confess our sin and that we need you. And we ask that you would take us by the hand and show us what it means to be meek. you're able to, can I invite you to stand? And we're just going to keep waiting on God. Sometimes it helps to change position, but we're just going to wait. We're just going to say, God, humbly I seek you.
maybe just know in his gentleness he's poking or, or prodding at something right now. And I know it's not as simple as just laying it all down. I know, I know there are steps involved. And for some of us, we're so rooted in those identities or job titles or 